0: So this is a really interesting episode that we're bringing to you today. It's about consuming gross products, but it's also about family, about purpose, about conviction, and also a lot of business and startup know-how for funding. Richard Laver comes from a tennis family, but his story was different. Not only a survivor of a truly fatal accident that should have taken him out, but then having to deal and struggle with so many other things in terms of the health of his, of his uh, daughter and how that led to the genesis of a product that began to change the way not only his family lived, but many other families who suffer from the same thing. To even then going further and starting another brand and once again, showing how to move the needle forward. Any entrepreneur who's a fan of consumer gross products and raising capital and doing things differently You're going to love this conversation. I did. And, you know, even though Richard is currently in Spain promoting and working on this venture that is currently launching uh, for Lucky Fuck, which is an energy drink, uh, after having had incredible success and a lot of fulfillment with Cape Farms, you're going to see uh, bits and pieces of our multiple conversations that we had. So stay tuned. There was an internet dropout, and that's kind of why you'll see me wearing a couple different headphones or what have you. But this is a conversation you're going to want to hear. All right. Uh, Mr. Lucky himself, Richard Laver. Thanks for stopping by, man. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. How you doing today? You tell me you're in Spain.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're. I'm trying to run a startup uh, with meetings starting at three in the afternoon until midnight. So it's a interesting world we live in now. Of course, not the way I used to run companies, but this is just for a few weeks.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, Globalization has definitely changed things. I know I've seen some people moan when they're on the West Coast and uh, they have to deal with people on the East Coast at 7 a.m. But you're in Spain, so it's even more so the hour difference is real. Do you still work with people in America? Or have you moved your operations internationally completely?
1: No. Well, I I think it's... No, my company's in... We're launching is in Austin, of course. My first company was in Santa Barbara. My second company was in Santa Barbara, Cape Farms. And, um, you know, I, I always... 10 11 years ago when i was hiring my first people i said look there's there's no remote we don't do remote and i i need to be in the office seeing everything that's going on and i think it's been really good in certain ways i think it's been really bad for companies in other ways it's it, you you miss little details perhaps that you would you wouldn't miss but then again you can do things you never dreamed of um through zoom and through globalization and and people at different places just a different way of of running a business
0: today. Yeah, and and I kind of want to get into that specifically because if I'm not mistaken, my notes tell me you come from a tennis family and yet you went into business. I'm not saying you can't do tennis and business at the same time, but usually people stay in that lane. How did this happen for you?
1: Yeah, so basically I, I grew up... Uh, my family is a big tennis family and my uh, cousin won the Grand Slam in tennis in 69. And he immigrated our family from Australia to Florida. My father was a tennis pro, and I grew up in a uh, you know a sports family, uh, middle class family, in down in South Florida. My dad was a teaching pro at a tennis resort, and um, and then of course he, uh, him and I were going to a um, a tennis tournament as we would. And the night before I went to this uh, tournament that was supposed to be in San Diego, I told my mother. I don't think we're going to make it on this plane. I had this dream that the plane was going to crash. And so I uh, ended up happy. My mother said to me, it's going to be a million to one chance. That's never going to happen. And so I went on that plane with my dad. And that was one of the worst plane crashes in US history. Uh, In Dallas, Texas, we crashed. Uh, Delta 191 was a flight. 137 people perished on the flight. I was the only kid who lived. 30 kids died. And so, oh my God, that took my tennis career. Okay. yeah, that took my career. It, it really is the entrepreneurial story is is comes from this. we'll We'll get to that. um, but the destiny, the butterfly effect, exactly. people stay in their own lanes and they think that they have certain regiments in their life, and these things aren't going to happen and And I think that, um crazy things crazy things happen and come out of your unluckiest moments. so, and uh, and that was a very unlucky thing but really the plane accident gave me uh, a lot of what i needed to succeed later in life but of course from the time the plane accident happened um i was the only person ever to be thrown out of a commercial plane and lived um i lost my father in the accident and so from the ages of 12 to 27 i was dealing with ptsd i was sort of acting out in school i'd get in fights um i had terrible grades I was kicked out of different schools, uh, ended up, uh, lost a girlfriend and lost a business. And at 27, I was homeless for about a month, Delray Beach, Florida. And I wouldn't leave that beach until I had a real compelling reason to live and tell a story. And so the rest of my life from that moment on, I'll pause, but was to tell that story. And my businesses that have come out of it have been to tell, tell stories, really.
0: Yeah. And I,
1: I, <laughs> it's a lot to unpack.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that's heavy, man. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad that you can live to tell, you know, uh, things like that really help you appreciate not only your day, but your own life, you know? So Kate Farms, why don't you tell us about it?
1: Yeah. So my daughter was my dream, right? Like a lot of fathers and she was uh, 15 at five years old. She weighed 15 pounds and the doctor's couldn't give me a real valid reason for why she was not gaining weight. And so I felt her life was in jeopardy. She was on uh, a dozen medications. She kept losing weight. Uh, And at that point, they called failure to thrive. And and they diagnose that when they can't, basically the end could be near and they can't diagnose really what's wrong. And so I read the book, The China Study, And I laid it down and I knew what was wrong. I I was sort of at Whole Foods one day and, and I was going, wow, like all of us people can go have these beautiful things, but the sickest people that can't chew food or that have cancer in the hospital, they're given a certain type of nutrition and that's all that's available. So here's the deal. I knew that if you and I went 20 years, 15 years, 10 years without vegetables or fruits or antioxidants we would have an autoimmune disorder. We know that the body, you see kids that have pizza, they have all this white flour food, and when they get older, their bodies break down, right? So so I kind of was starting to put this thing together. And then I went to a senior citizen home and this thesis was coming together about, I'd see a guy that was maybe 45, 50 years old, he was strapping 200 pounds, and now he's uh, 75 years old, he's eating tons of food and he's losing weight. Why is that happening? Well. What I read was that casein was the main ingredient in dairy. And so for people that are sedentary in wheelchairs or are not moving around a lot, because my daughter had cerebral palsy, they, the mucus collects in their body. And so they're the all these nutrients that you want to give them doesn't actually pull through. And so you keep putting more and more and more. You see this with bodybuilders actually, Bill. They're so, after years of casein and casein and casein away, They'll have so much in their body that they have they have to keep making ten more shakes and, and just continue to, and they just never get to that peak form they were at at one point. So I had this thesis, I wrote it, and basically said the lead ingredient in Elmer's glue is what's in ninety five percent of formulas that are being ingested. Casein.
0: So Casein
1: is is a glue substance when taken. Yeah. And so I had this, and the doctors basically rejected it. I went to. Uh, I created uh, Kate's Cream in a in a blender, sent her to school, and then the school board came to me and they said, we're going to call CCS on you. Um, it's against the law for a special needs person to have anything other than a, a packaged CPG, packaged goods brand that is doctor recommended. And so I pulled my daughter out of school and started a company that day. <laughs>
0: oh my god. And now, now we're
1: the number one Eating plant-based doctor recommended formula in the world. So.
0: so now it is a product that's <laughs> that's recommended
1: and, by doctors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, now all the doctors, it's like, you know, K Farms is a it's a wonderful story. And I and basically I really engineered the first superfood. People were doing this in the blenders at home. They were putting all these beautiful nutrients, but no one put it into a package, and then no one threw it into the market that needed the most. So it was like walking into a hospital was like, like it was me. It was like going to Expo West or some store. Uh, these shows with hundreds of thousands of companies selling a protein bar. Imagine me walking in with with uh, now I've got a solution. And so it really was a, a breakthrough. And it was it was actually um, really needed by thousands of of people. They really needed the
0: product. No, oh, yeah, that's an obvious demand in the market. I imagine, however, the yeah. path to getting it to market was not obvious because you were coming. I mean, I know you mentioned you had sort of a business at some point earlier on, but was it the same consumer yeah. product business or was this a whole new territory for you?
1: No. Yeah, it was a whole new territory. I mean, I had a trash business. Is how I made my first seed money to go into Cade Farms and um, foreclosure cleanup back in the crash. And I did really well with it and gave me seed capital of course nothing what you needed i mean we've raised almost 200 million dollars with k farms um it's uh but the, it started out very humbly started out in 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 consumer uh but most importantly i it took me i think 85 batches before i could get it shelf stable i mean k farms is arguably the most complex formula ever made really i mean it's it's any little tweak could throw the product off. I mean, we're, I was basically, my goal was to sustain human life without food. And so that took two years development. It took a, uh, a tremendous amount of passion because really people are like, well, what really kept you going? Were you that, you know, dead? It really it was about saving my daughter's life because I felt that if something happened to Katie, I wasn't going to make it. I had enough tragedy in my life. And so I was sort of sa- trying to save my life too. It was kind of a really, it was the, it was the love and what's really, everyone talks about a love story now, but it was an anger story. I was so angry as a father that, that I had to go through this to get it done. So it was a, it was an absolute nightmare to get it to market two years. And then I had to move it into where it was needed most. And then to to do that, that's a whole another engineering program of board, board members, capital raises, you know, really showing your conviction, showing that there's a population that really needed. So, It was a lot lot more things to it.
0: Given your experiences and where you come from, uh, how you needed that real purpose to make it happen and then to be activated by the circumstances that you were facing to actually bring this to market and then seeing how important it would be for everyone beyond just yourself, there's a lot happening there. Looking back on it, knowing what you know now is there anything you would have focused on more? Let's say someone who's listening is an entrepreneur who's trying to do similar things, raising money, oh, yeah. creating a product. What would you say is the number one thing you would have looked back at and said, okay, this is where you really need to spend your time.
1: So I, I think it's, if the crowd is going in one direction, if you look at, a lot of entrepreneurs, they're, they're a little bit of rebels, artists. Um, perhaps they didn't do necessarily well in certain things and they've got something to prove a chip on their shoulder. And I think that the, certainly that was the case with me. I think, um, I, I think that I would have probably, uh, they say who, who, who wins in a fight, the crazy guy or the smarter guy. And, the answer to that in business, a lot of times in startups is the crazy guy. You need the crazier you are, the more you you just go for it and just believe in yourself that you're going. I really I really put myself through a lot of things. I really didn't understand that I I had the capabilities of going to the top, you know, from the beginning. You know, coming from a guy that from where I'd come from, there was no real inkling I could run a business that could be worth that much money, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that you really, really need to think bigger. You need to think with the end result in mind, and you need to champion that cause 10x what you think you think you need, and um, bring that leadership and that certainty to your employees, to everyone, and uh, and, and use some of uh, perhaps a rebellious nature um, to your advantage. Because I think following the status quo is really a a way to go for average you really to stand out in this world and do something special you really have to be willing to stand on a mountain by yourself and people believe what they're hearing and know that you're the guy that's going to get it done so I, i probably would have definitely gone for way more capital earlier it took 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 me four years before i started really thinking about a lot of capital so like for instance now my next venture, I'm thinking about capital day one. Like I'm, I'm going 10x more um, quicker with that. So,
0: and, and I want to ask you about this because I think there's a particular way that this this is going to be insightful. Uh, just on, on that, while we're yeah. on that note, though, uh, the decision to get capital and to have the confidence to ask for the capital and to prepare to make it irrefutable that that's with the capital that's necessary, what would you say is your number one way of getting yourself there internally? Cause I find that, you know, you could get all the numbers in the world, but internally, if you're not there, it, it's not going to help you. So I'd love to know that just based off your experiences so far.
1: Most people buy into the conviction of the founder. You can take a, I could show you a deck that's so great. The smartest guys in the world went to Stanford, did it all, and they can't sell anything. They can't raise any capital. Can't, there's something missing internally that you need to have, that you've got to have this conviction and this belief. And most importantly, I think that you need to be very honest person with capital. People need to trust that you would rather um, put yourself at risk personally than the company that you're there to protect the investors. There's a lot of brilliant people out there. They just don't come across as character individuals and capital needs that number one. You've got to, they need to know that you're going to be up just sweating it out, you know, stressed out until you kind of make it and figure it out. And, and you're going to tell them the bad news. You're not going to just circle numbers around to get a valuation, et cetera, et cetera. So getting that across that you have the deep conviction of character to to do that, I think is number one. But I, number two, I think um, you you've just got to you've got just like I said in the beginning. You you've got to start with your end in mind. I'll never forget talking to Ben Weiss from Buy, and he said to me, "You should start thinking about what your exit." and how you're going to end this journey from day, from the beginning, because people will tell you, Oh, there'll be a lot of options down the road. How dare you think so big, you know, a person should never be willing to want to sell their business, et cetera, et cetera. I don't believe that, you know, for me, I knew that I, that I needed the partners to distribute the product. I needed the investors. I needed everybody. So I think that having that understanding, sharing the journey with everyone, getting everyone uh, aligned with your vision and never double up on yourself. If you're failing at raising capital or something going up, you need to triple up. You need to you need to game up. People need to see you gutting it out. And, I, and I'll tell you this. We'll talk about my next journey, but in the very beginning when people heard the name, there was no one wanted to talk to me. But what happens is As you move forward and you take those steps and the vision becomes clear and the things you said you were going to do and you collect the assets, the parties you throw, the linens on the table are of quality. Everything you do is of certain quality and your brand is out there fighting for it. When you fail, you're willing to admit you're failing. All of a sudden, people respect that game. And when they respect that game, they start writing checks.
0: I hear you loud and clear, man. I hear that loud (laughs) and clear. So it's the perfect opportunity now. And the way I want to transition this is this. Your first uh, business, you needed a strong purpose before you could even continue in life as a whole, right? And, And you found that. This next venture, I don't know if it has the same gumption yet because I haven't learned enough yet. If it has the same drive behind it, but as an entrepreneur, does they you just can't stop. So now we're talking about Lucky Fuck, right? Which is the 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 new beverage that that you're putting out. If I understood correctly, unless there's another venture you wanted to cover, um, but from what I see in my notes, that's what. No, that, up. no, that's, that's. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So I mean, look. It, to your point, to yeah, to your point. Look, you know Howard Schultz talks about his deep romance, his absolute love affair with coffee, and so it took. It was such a great question, by the way, for your listeners. Greatest question that if as an investor, that's what you need to ask: What how convicted are you? How much? How much passion really? Because it was clear with Kate, I'd save her life, but what was also clear is i had never scaled a company prior to that, so I needed that to to go win. And like Howard Schultz said, he goes, I feel about, you do about the most passionate thing about your children or something I feel about coffee. And some guys feel that way about toilet paper. I mean, it's very, very rare. That's why a lot of people don't find their purpose because they can't get behind something that is as trivial as a cup of coffee like Howard Schultz did. So to my point was, I had a story to tell and it was a story that that I I really first of all, again, everyone said that the energy drink was overdone and there were so many energy drinks. And uh, but the way I looked at it was uh that in the organic world, if you had products like this, you wouldn't be making it. In other words, the organic world products are so competitive. You have to be so great in everything you do. So I just looked at Monster and Red Bull and I thought they're fantastic companies and they've owned the marketing, and I felt that the young generation didn't have a drink for their own that they could really own. And I felt that there was two problems. I felt RX bar over on the protein bar, they walked into an entrenched market and they said, they called BS on the whole market and they said, we're going to put five ingredients on the front of the package and simplify the protein bar. And I said, I'm going to tell the same exact story because it's not cutting into Red Bull or monsters market share. I'm going to be the rebel. I want to create blue ocean. I want people that are scared of energy drinks that are scared they're going to end up in an emergency room. And I'm going to bring these, in my natural food world experience, bring it into the energy drink and sort of stop adding all these crazy vitamins and contain them in a superfood called maca. Simplify the ingredient deck to five ingredients like Rx Bar did and have a completely new idea that was that in a crowded market, it's completely new. And then I felt that the Instagram world, Monster Ripple, like I just didn't see people unless they were paid influencer, I just didn't see a lot of passion for them photographing with the product. So I thought, listen, what if I put high art, art basel type art on a can that was really cool and it was Instagrammable? And then had a instead of jumping out of airplanes and motocross and all this different stuff, what if I had an aspirational life about? teaching people what had happened to my life coming from homeless and plane crashes, losing. And at 50 years old, I won. And, and, a, and I could teach them that your unluckiest moments, the worst things that's happening to you that you, I was listening to podcasts when I was broke with, with $500 in my pocket. I mean, th- that these things, if you just hang on and keep going and find your courage and your guts, and you're willing to Eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and convince the journey is so worth it. And if we could, if I could bring people into that community with this new brand. And sort of another thing was the anti-brand is brand new. So Liquid Death started. And I felt that although it's a crowded category, the young people were sick of tick-the-box marketing. And so and, and this is really important for your listeners, super important. It, you know you got to stand for something you truly believe. People have to believe and understand that you've just got the balls to do it, right? So, you know, you get in these company meetings. Oh, we can't offend them. We can't offend them. We can't offend this person. we got to be careful here. we got to be careful here. And whatever happened to just standing on the stage and just saying, this is, you can judge the book by its cover because there's a cuss word, but underneath this is beauty. There's, we're trying to help people. We're doing things for charity. And I just felt like the anti-brand time has come. And it's not a crowded cra- category. There's only two. There's really my company. And so I was right. So when we launched, um, yeah, we started selling like crazy. So I, so I we love were, that. So, sort of the idea, I felt, yeah, I, fe- I felt the problem was going to be, of course, there's always a problem when you engineer stuff, right? We got zero sugar, zero aftertaste, five calories. First person in the world to ever put zero aftertaste on the front of a package. And I had to mean it. So when you taste my drink, I'm known for taste. I got it done. But it's just the idea that kids, perhaps, yes, um, and the and the but the other one was, would the retailers be okay with it? And that uh, we were really shocked to see that once they learned the story, they were totally okay with it. They' like we got other issues to worry about then. You know, perhaps um, it's not even spelled out on the package. The cuss word. It's just. Um, but oh, sorry, I didn't tell you the reason why the name was called that was because my son gave me a bracelet five years ago um, at Christmas, and he said everyone thought you were the unluckiest guy in the world, and it was a gold bracelet and said the lucky fuck on it. So <laughs> I I was gonna think about calling it lucky fuck or lucky guy, but I I felt like. I couldn't believe in the product if I didn't call it after the bracelet my son gave me.
0: I, I think uh, it's 100% uh, a learning moment there. Again, the question started with, do you have the same purpose driving you? And I think, I think while it's not the same purpose, it's the same kind of purpose, which is a conviction to stand behind, right? Something that you can really stand behind. And you're right, the name itself has conviction built into it. There's no apologies. In yeah. the entire idea of the product. And yeah. I can, val- I've, I've interviewed a couple of, uh, of consumer products and, and every time I've gotten samples and I've shared it with my friends and particularly the drinks, they always been like, ah, oh, but that aftertaste. So I think it's super cool that you went that extra mile. It just goes to show how far you're thinking. You very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Audience customer uh, centric in the the engineering of of your marketing your communications and the product itself uh i've i've been with friends who've tried to get things through the fda and you know finding a co-packer getting things shelf stable it is not easy to do that while also holding true to a conviction of being organic and actually good for you so I can't thank you enough for doing that for the marketplace because I am—I I literally had one just before a drink that I think is on the healthier end. And now I'm going to be looking for that. I'm in South Bay, L.A. So if you ever start distributing out that way, you better believe I'm going to pick up that product specifically yeah. because I believe in what you're doing. Uh, with that said, I, I think I think the next leg. Well, this, we're going we'll to send Oh, dude. Yeah, please, please. Yeah, thank we'll you. We'll send it to you. Uh, with that said, I I think we've we've covered a lot of wisdom here. So uh, you mentioned thinking of your exit now and thinking of capital now from day one. So what is the future for you? Uh, you're going to go in on on, on Lucky Fuck and, and and keep it going till till the wheels fall off, or have you actually already thought of your exit? And what can you share with us?
1: Yeah. So I think that the way you ended the last topic segues into this, I mean, very, very smart. I can tell you've done a lot of these interviews is that I did think of everything. You have to, when you're, when you're willing to call a name like that and willing to go there, then you've got to give a holistic look at every detail. The can's got to look right. The taste has got to be right so that regardless of what's happening once someone tastes the drink, they want to buy it again, because it doesn't matter how good everything else is, if it's not good in the product. So, And then the parties I threw in Miami and now in Spain, I've got all these people coming up. So every detail that I think about is because I'm trying to tell a complete movie, a complete story. So I appreciate you understanding that. Yeah. I mean, look, um, I so uh, I'm going to, I build things, I try to build things as best I can. You know, I, 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 I do things with, you know, I, I try to say things like if, if you were to, if you were to come to my house, I'm not putting Ritz crackers and old cheese, Velveeta cheese on the table. I'm going to try to throw out the best I can and give you a, a great night and give you the right appetizers and do all the right things. So of course, when I'm trying to build a machine as great as this, I'm thinking, okay, I want to do everything great. I want to have the parties. I visualize the whole thing. So what's the opportunity? The opportunity is massive. I'm going to show an entire new market to the to the energy market. I'm going to show a whole new lifestyle to the young people. Um, and therefore, I'm going to – the velocity of the movement of the product tells the story. So the first thing I do when I'm thinking about capital raising is – I don't worry necessarily about distribution. I worry about your first hundred stores. So if you get your first hundred stores, you get a gas station, you get a barbershop, you get all this different stuff. And you wanna, you wanna put it in places that you think it may not win. And you wanna do no down de- I I do no demos, no nothing. I just wanna see if people take it off the shelf. So the velocity is there. Once I know velocities hit a certain level, which they're about to hit, the first two months, then I start thinking about an app, um New York, New York, and then I go. Then I'll go to Vegas because lucky is Vegas. Then go Nashville. So I'm gonna raise a lot of money, right? I think Liquid Death raised a couple hundred million dollars. I'll raise and I'll raise a seed round, um, probably a, a considerable amount of money. And then that's probably gonna happen sooner than later. I, I'll be into this for for quite a bit of money. I'm more, you know, but I'm I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. But yeah, to compete with the big boys, I gotta go out and get some real money.
0: I love it, man! I, oh, I and yeah.
1: So the exit. Oh, the exit plan. Is, yeah, the exit is uh, the exit is. I'm already planning. Like in my head, I'm already planning the banks I want to talk to to take it IPO because, you know, with a name like that, the the world. It's interesting. Liquid death. When they first came out, they faced the same thing: death on a can, and perhaps they. I, I can't speak for them, but it w- perhaps they had a big community. But it was you had conversations of certain things hard to get into. But you know, you start to think about should we IPO because Pepsi or Coke or KDP or any of these companies are not going to acquire us. And so I think companies like the anti brand, you start thinking about um, how you're going to IPO early. You know, what what metrics do you need to do to show growth and profitability and the consumers' taste for your product? To take it on a journey on an IPO, um, obviously, I think that the, uh, the the soft drinks are seeing that we're building entertainment companies, we're making people smile. And what where have you seen a drink that can make people smile? When they look at Lucky Fuck, they smile, they laugh, it's funny. And so is Liquid Death. And so, uh, or you think it's smartass or it's whatever, but it's intriguing, right? So, I think that they're going to have to look at beverages as, as entertainment brands in the future. Um, And I think that content brands, new wave content brands.
0: (laughs) Dude, as you said that, I just got the idea. I was like, you know, I drink a lot of neuro drinks. Someone should make a smart ass drink. (laughs) Just just in the spirit of what you're saying. There you you go. I mean, I get it. I get what you're saying and you're 100% right. So- the the perfect way to put a bow on this entire conversation then is what is your call to action for people who have just heard your story, uh, gained your wisdom, hard won, it really was. What do you want them to do? Do you want them to visit your website? You want them to connect with you on LinkedIn? What do you want them to do?
1: Yeah, please. I mean, uh, connect with us on LinkedIn. Uh, you can share with your viewers my LinkedIn and and our websites, um, luckyfuckenergy.com. Uh, L-U-C-K-Y-F-C-K-Energy.com. We've got a lot of neat stuff going on—stories, videos. Uh, our products are online, um, and for and to join our community, we've got a, a, a reach out. We're asking people to tell us their stories of how they feel lucky, and and really a brand of gratitude. And let's just be grateful for where we're starting now. So, if you're my call to action to your listeners, if you're starting now, just realize. People that have done these type of things are not that special. I just think they they start right where they have a dream, right then and there. Um, find a conviction behind what they really want to do and take the journey. It's it's a journey of a lifetime. Whether you win or lose, it really is um, incredible to take the journey. And I think most importantly, the world needs people to try um create jobs, to to help other people lift them up and I think nothing's better than entrepreneurism uh, so where, wherever you are start now and dream incredibly big you know back when I was got off the street and was had 50 bucks in my pocket when I was homeless I went and got a book called Think and Grow Rich in that book taught me everything about what about taking action it's about this burning desire that you want it so bad. And you would just think about opportunities so much. And guess what? If you are on that frequency, it's going to come to you and you're going to take action.
0: Man, I literally have my copy right behind us here, right under the light right there. I know exactly what you're talking about. And your fear (laughs) fear of poverty is one of those things that really can get in the way. I'd love to talk to you more about that on a separate occasion. But I can't thank you enough for sharing. Yeah, I'm with it, man. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, being open to for discussing sure. insights that you've gained. You know, people try to gate those kind of things. But I, again, I think sometimes people look for what's called step-by-step advice. And I think that gets in the way of their own journey because really iterative advice is the only thing we can do, right? Get to the tree. Here's what you need to have in mind when you get to the tree. And then from there, you got to find your own way because step-by-step would require you to be there for them every step of the way. And that that's no one's journey, That that that's a farce. And so I really appreciate that you actually dug deep when you shared some of your teachings and learnings. Uh, I can't thank you enough for stopping by. I'm looking forward to trying the drinks and uh, better believe I'm gonna make sure that everyone understands how important this is in the intro.
1: Philip, well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be with you and let's chat another time offline.
0: Sounds good.